Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Politics in the Pulpit, a lectionary-based preaching resource designed to ask the pr provocative question of whether and if so how politics should appear in our preaching this week. And this comes in, at an extremely relevant time where many questions have been asked about whether the church should get involved in politics and there are many opinions on that abounding. My name is Jenny Mills and I am Secretary for Education and Learning for the United Reformed Church. Uh, previous to that, I was a minister in pastorate in Newport Pagnell and in Wolverton near Milton Keynes. Uh, I am also on the board of directors of an alternative education provider in Milton Keynes. And for me, the focus in my ministry has been community, realising potential, inclusivity and welcome. Uh, my role in the United Reformed Church involves me in all areas of learning and we have a particular focus on discipleship and lifelong learning within the United Reformed Church. So I deal with those from ministers to lay preachers and anyone on their discipleship journey. Each week I'm going to be joined by a guest from a different place and space on the pulpit and political landscape. Today I am extremely delighted to introduce the Reverend Al Barrett. Al is the rector of Hodge Hill Church in East Birmingham, a partnership between the Church of England and the United Reformed Church. He's also a co-convener for the locally rooted Common Ground community. His recent book, uh, Being Interrupted, Reimagining the Church's Mission from the Outside, uh, the Outside In, was written with Ruth Harley and caused the church to open the door to a creative disruption of the status quo. Al, welcome. It's lovely to Thank see you. you. Thanks, Jenny. Lovely to be here. Thank you so much for joining us today. So, politics in the pulpit. Um, I wonder if we could just uh, initially explore what that means to you. So, if you tell us a little bit about yourself and your setting and how you see yourself as a pulpit politician. Okay. I, to be honest, I don't think I've ever used that phrase before, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's an interesting question. Um, so, yeah, uh, so I'm the Anglican minister in, in Hodge Hill, uh, which is on the eastern edge of the city of Birmingham, uh, just under the M6 motorway as it uh, continues southwards from Spaghetti Junction on the, on the concrete pillars still. So uh, many people will have driven over us or uh, overlooked us on the way past. Um, Hodge Hill is a fascinating area. I've been vicar here for about 12 years now. Uh, it's a parish of about 20,000 people. Uh, there's a real mix of class and ethnicity. Um, we have a large Muslim community locally um, and also a large uh, council estate that was built in the 60s, which uh, is where I call home, the Furs and Brumford. Okay. Um, so my journey here for the last 12 years has been very much one of uh, seeking to embed myself in the local community as a neighbour, as a friend, um, as someone who is uh, journeying alongside neighbours on a journey of building community locally. Um, and and the church has very much found itself kind of drawn into that journey um, as guest uh, as much, if not more, than, uh, than host. Um, and so I guess when we gather together as church on a Sunday morning, uh, what we've sought to do over... Uh, over the time that I've been here is drawing stories and voices from our neighbourhood uh, into our worship and shape our worship. Um, 
so when I get behind the lectern, uh, we're not as grand as uh, having a pulpit with with steps to climb up. We we seek to have a conversation that's about making connections between the stories of our neighbourhood, yeah, uh, the stories of our faith tradition, uh, but also locating ourselves within the wider world and obviously within the kind of neighbourhood that I'm in uh, that I would describe as. Um, uh, as in some ways being pushed to the edges yeah. of our society and of our economics and our, um, our culture. Um, actually questions of, of marginalization, questions of injustice uh, kind of become life for us. Yeah, I was just about to, to, to ask you about, you know, in your context, so you've already touched on, on some of those, some of those issues that, uh, that are relevant to where you find yourself. Um, and and the idea of, uh, of of those stories being reflected uh, through the lives of the people you engage with, but also uh, through the through the worship in the in the congregation and the church. Uh, thank you so much for that. Each week, um, uh, the J, our JPIC colleagues uh, give us a little roundup of their expertise and what they think we ought to be keeping an eye on in the world this week. So I'd just like to share some of those, and, and perhaps we can look at how they engage with your context. We have the Nationality and Borders Bill that's been voted through by MPs and will now pass into law. And at the same time, the government are facing legal challenges on their plans to send refugees to Rwanda and lost a legal challenge to their policy to push back small boats in the channel. There have been multiple accounts of sexism and misogyny reported from Westminster with female MPs sharing what it feels to work, work in that environment. In Ukraine, Russia are using gas as a blackmail tool against other European countries. The UN Secretary General visited Ukraine this week and NATO are now saying the war could last years. This week, the Trussell Trust have reported that they gave away 2.1 million food parcels between 2021 and 22, the first time that they have given over 2 million parcels outside of the pandemic. And they're in calling on the government to increase uh, benefit payments in order to support families who are becoming dependent on emergency supplies and then there are local elections in Scotland, Wales and many parts of England on Thursday. So so the uh, some of the some of the um some of the cost of living uh, issues and I mean the, particularly the Trussell Trust one is is absolutely heartbreaking isn't it? It really is. Yeah. Um and certainly in our community here um we've we've been really conscious of, of food poverty. Uh, for some years. Um, it's not a new issue for us, but certainly, um, I mean, the increases in gas bills, for example, um, means that, you know, we, we have people coming into our drop-in uh, every Tuesday um, and they're having to make really hard decisions about whether they, they use any power to heat their homes yeah. in the cold weather or whether they're able to afford food. So, yeah, I mean, that's just desperate. And and it feels that that uh, it's about we're we're doing lots of sticking plasters, aren't we, at the moment, rather than actually hitting the root the root cause of some of these things. So that whole that whole you know let's stop pulling people out the river and ask why they're falling in in, in further up. But I think that's uh, that's that's massive, isn't it? So we're in the church season of Easter, and obviously we've come together to. Um, also talk about some of the texts that we're going to be encountering on um, on the 8th of May. Uh, as in this church season, resurrection abounds. But I don't know about you, it feels to me that um, 
a number of uh, for a number of reasons. Many of us are struggling to go beyond the Good Friday, Holy Saturday uh, emotions, and um, uh, there's a lot of pain and struggle and anxiety uh, and political instability, which makes us feel quite anxious and people are feeling quite desperate. Um, and, and obviously the war in Ukraine and the conflicts in other parts of the world are affecting all of this. Um, personally, life has thrown some curveballs at me and I feel that for me at the moment, resurrection is perhaps about hope and about knowing that there will be new life rather than being able to live within that. Can you identify with any of that at all? Oh, absolutely. And I think um, for me, I've been particularly aware of that sense of kind of uh, resurrection deferred for for the last couple of years um, I think and of having tried to celebrate two Easter's during COVID and lockdowns uh, and what that's meant um, has really forced us to uh, to think afresh about about what Easter means in practice um, and absolutely I'm I'm with you that 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 fee that Holy Saturday experience of of being hit by the trauma of death and grief and loss um, and in a sense dwelling in that space of not knowing what comes next mm. um, even though kind of in our heads uh, we've done Easter yeah. um, 20, 30, 40, 50 times in our lives um, already actually we, we find ourselves in that space and that space feels like it's lengthening at the moment. Mm -hmm. and actually, I think we, we need to be really attentive to, to what that space feels like, um, yes. what the dynamics of that space are. Um, I, uh, in, in my work over the last few years, years and particularly the book that I co-wrote with Ruth Harley, um, we, we found uh, some real insight in the work of trauma theologians, uh, particularly uh, an American theologian called Shelley Rambo, who talks about um, sensing life in the midst of ongoing trauma. Um, and she talk, she uses the word sensing um, as a word that's kind of quite deliberately more, more fuzzy, less tangible, less graspable uh, than our, our narratives of resurrection that are often far more triumphant and, mm -hmm. and kind of decisive. Um, she talks about you know that that sense of uh, when when our senses are, are dulled for whatever reason, um, actually kind of just feeling ahead and trying to kind of touch things that that may be sources of hope for us. And that, that that's what a lot lot of life feels like, I think, for for all of us at the moment, um, and certainly personally, and certainly in our community, uh, there, there's there's a lot of that sense around. Mm. May I just apologise for my camera? I do. I don't quite know what's going on with it at the moment, but it's just really not being very happy. So I, I do apologise for that. Um, thank you for that, and I think it's it's really helpful. Um, it's helpful to to think about the things in, in that context. Um, I wonder. We've come to the texts for the uh, the eighth of May, and I wondered uh, where you wanted to start, uh, and and how you want us to to look at those um, and. Uh, what, what particularly spoke to you, what themes spoke to you, what, uh, uh, yeah, just just how, how uh, the context of where those readings come from and how they relate to today. So, so lead me on and tell me where you want us to go. So, yeah, I think um, the readings take me on a bit of a journey, but I think I want to start with um, a combination of the, the John 10 passage and Psalm 23. And this, um, 
this image of Jesus as the Good Shepherd, which obviously is so familiar to us yeah. uh, and so well known. Um, but but digging into to Psalm twenty three particularly, um, I was struck by um, one of the commentaries I was reading uh, points to the green pastures and the still waters and the the paths of righteousness or, or even the right paths as one yeah. translation puts it as as being about the basic necessities of life um i think sometimes we read psalm 23 and we have this beautiful sort of english pastoral um kind of uh, ideal summer holiday day out um but but actually there's something in this about about the basic necessities of life this is about food and drink for the sheep yeah. Um, green pastures and still waters are what yeah. a sheep what a sheep needs to be able to get the stuff that it needs to live from day to day. Yeah. Um, and the right paths, the commentary suggested, um, is is talking about primarily about safety from danger. Um, so here we have a really familiar text, um, but in the context, as you said earlier, particularly of of the news this week about um new laws in this country that kind of yeah. entrench our policies to uh to those who have traveled far from their homes because they've been displaced by war and climate change uh, and famine uh and an unjust distribution of resources in our world um people who have have traveled the most dangerous journeys people who have lost loved ones along the way um, seeking just the basics of life, mm. food and drink and shelter and safety. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I kind of, when I realised that connection, I heard Psalm 23 afresh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's, that's really helpful because I think it's one that we're so familiar with and is used in weddings and funerals and, and, and we use it as kind of a comfort, but actually that idea that it's, it's going to the heart of, of who we are as, as ordinary people and i think when you talk about the laws as well we you know we've got these concerns in the last few days about the citizenship um, can be removed uh, that we're moving closer to nhs privatization um, and i think those things that some of us who perhaps are more fortunate are going to be able to access those things still but those on the edges are going to be excluded in so many ways yeah no absolutely and i think now, as as with all biblical texts, it makes so much difference to how you hear it, depending on where you're located yes. and yes. what your experience of life is. And yes. I think um, one of the things that the biblical texts invite us to do is enter into the shoes and the experiences of, of our neighbours who have very, very different life experiences to us. Yes. Um, so that actually, you know, Psalm 23 is, is not necessarily just a, a comfort of a of a lovely peaceful day out actually psalm 23 through the eyes and in the shoes of someone who has lived life in danger and without the basics actually is like you were saying at the beginning jenny yeah um a, a message of hope yeah 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 and so uh onto the onto the john 10 I mean, it, it feels a bit like, um, you know, Jesus is not going to win in this, is he? You know, whatever he says, it's going to be wrong. Um, uh, you know, and, and when we look at the political climate uh, and the, the, the comments from the Archbishop of Canterbury and how they've been received, um, do we hear, you know, how would you how would you hear this text? So I think the question at the heart of it 
um, for me was was the question: Are you the Messiah? Um, and 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 we're not too far past the Palm Sunday uh, story of of the crowds of Jerusalem uh, excitedly welcoming uh, this this man riding a donkey into the city, and all the expectations that go with that. Um, and and again. Holding the John 10 passage and Psalm 23 together, uh, Walter Brueggemann, uh, commenting on Psalm 23, reminds us that the Lord is my shepherd uh, is an immensely political statement, because what it's saying is that is that God is our shepherd leader yeah. and no one else. Yeah. Um, that that Jesus is the Messiah and a very particular strange kind of messiah and no one else um and i think both of these passages invite us to examine our own desires and needs for leadership uh for people uh to look to for authority uh and and ask immensely critical questions of the kind of human leaders that we that we have over us yeah, in our yeah. country uh, in our world, um, even as local elections happen this week in in our in our local areas as well, yeah. um, and and to to start from the position that that the only leader we owe allegiance to ultimately is God, um, and that God is the kind of leader that comes as shepherd, uh, but also that comes as a Messiah who is crucified that comes as a person that opens themselves utterly up to vulnerability in solidarity with those at the edges. Mm. Um, you know, that radically critiques our expectations of what leadership looks like in our, in our world. Yeah. And in this text, I picked up um, some sort of the bits about, uh, about liberation without having to be, to act, without having to earn it. Do you know what I mean? My my, my sheep, my, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. It's not about it's not about earning that or gain or doing anything to, to, to have that to be worthy of that love, um, and and that that total acceptance. In contrast to the power of those who are quote quizzing Jesus, um, I, I just wondered if you wanted to if, we, if you could think about you know in in the New Revised Standard Version it says Jesus is rejected by the Jews, and you know it isn't all of the Jews, is it? It's those those in power. Um, and I wonder if we can kind of look at that alongside the idea that, you know, if Jesus came today, how would he be received saying words like this? Sure. And I think, I mean, pa power is the key word here, isn't it? Um, because, you know, the, these are these are the Jewish leaders, these are the religious authorities who are, yeah. in yeah. a sense, kind of trying to trying to trick Jesus up. Um, and yeah. and we we must assume because they feel threatened, yeah. Um, they can yeah. see in Jesus a different way of exercising power and authority to the way uh, that is theirs, um, and and they can see that that it's clearly attractive. Um, and I think you know in our world, particularly in uh, in the world of kind of formal politics, if you like. Um, it can be very easy to kind of just play the same game as as whoever we see ourselves in opposition to. Um, but actually, the Jesus mm. invitation is is to an utterly different way of 
of exercising power. And I think um, in a minute when we come on to the Acts reading, uh, we can probably tease that out a bit further, but but, Take but I think there if you want to. Take okay. fine. Absolutely. Let, let we'll follow where you lead. So so I think I think we're we're used to a sense of kind of power as controlling territory, power as competition, yeah. kind of power as or one upmanship uh, against mm. whoever we're we're trying to sort of beat down. Yeah. Um, e even in the cause of justice and uh, and whatever, you know. Um and and I think, and and the title of the JPIC conference this uh, this year is is a really helpful one here. From the ground up, is yeah. what we're talking about. Well, um, yeah. The season of resurrection is a season, quite literally, of uprising, of of a raising up from the ground, not of of kind of filling the positions of hierarchical power and and sort of taking control of the levers of power, if you like. Um, and in this this difficult reading from Acts chapter nine, um, <laughs> the the raising of, of Tabitha or, or Dorcas, um, you know we we see in a sense uh, the writer of Acts telling us something about the ripple effects of the resurrection of Jesus. You know, G Jesus's resurrection is the thing that changes everything. Uh, but in in the stories of Acts, we see how that works itself out in practice and in this in this incredible story of the resurrection of a woman of faith a, a, a female disciple a leader within the community um you know we we see her literally brought back to life but raised up um i think i i need to acknowledge that i find this story difficult and uncomfortable um yeah. i you know i i think it's it's inspiring in many ways because here we have a named female leader within the community. Yeah, That's really good news. Yeah. Um, I find it uncomfortable because the way Tabitha or Dorcas exercises her leadership in many ways is in very stereotypical female ways. She makes clothes. Mm -hmm. uh, she gives in charity to people. Mm -hmm. um, and in this story, she doesn't have a voice at all. Uh, she's someone who is who is done to. She's a victim of of death, and then she's done to by a male disciple. Um, nevertheless, it feels like there's something really important here, um, and I guess it goes back to what we were saying earlier about Holy Saturday, Jenny. That um, you know, it's so easy in the story of Jesus' resurrection, but it, equally in the story of of Tabitha or Dorcas's resurrection, to skip over. The tragedy of death, mm. you know, it's it's done in a verse in Acts chapter nine, um, but but actually we we need to stay in that space first and just enter into that experience of loss. Yeah. Tabitha was a greatly loved, greatly respected leader in the community, and she died. Yeah, we we're, we're, we're well acquainted with that kind of experience of yeah. of losing people. Who are at the heart of our communities and COVID uh, particularly has kind of sharpened that sense of loss. Mm. So let's stay for a moment with that tragedy and that sense that our communities are fragile. Yeah. Um, let's inhabit that space of mourning alongside those who loved Tabitha. Yeah. And, and, and in that reading too, I think I picked up, you know, that sense, that amazing sense of community and, and, uh, 
when we are in the dark times, when, when things are really tough, it is that community that sustains us. It is that sense of belonging. Um, and, and, and as you talk about, you talk about the death, it, you know, there are deaths in so many ways in each, each of our lives all the time. Um, but that sense of being uh, supported through a community is huge. And that, that really comes across in this reading, doesn't it? No, absolutely. And I think one of our dangers as Christians or one of our temptations as Christians can so often be to, to try and explain tragedy away or jump to the jump jump to the happy ending to the good bits um, yeah, yeah. to the good bits you know and you know i absolutely i can't stand the everything happens for a reason kind of <laughs> response to things because you know death and tragedy is senseless there's yeah. not reason in it it's not god's will no. god god does not want a world where people are devastated by grief yeah. um and so we need to we, we need to stay in that moment, but but like you say, actually what community can do is is hold us in that space. We can hold on to one another in our grief and yeah. grieve together and find solidarity in that. Um, and just as you know, the story of the women who stayed watching Jesus die at the cross who were the women who followed his body to the tomb, who were the women who returned to the tomb to do what needed to be done. It's that staying together, that yeah. solidarity, that remaining yeah. in community of love yeah. uh, that can be the, the, the dark ground within, within which resurrection can begin to spring up, mm. which is not the same as saying death, uh, you know, had to be. That, everything happens for a reason but it mm -hmm. is saying that god can bring life out of yeah. the most desperate of tragedies yeah i i think what i i picked up in this one as well was this um the difference in style of writing this is almost you know um the sort of story you have when you're talking over the fence to somebody do you know what i mean it's got such a it's got a such a grounded nature to it hasn't it uh, uh, the actual writing in the, in the, in the text um, as opposed to you know the John reading, which is which is a lot harder. The like you know just the the metaphors and images are just so much harder to kind of understand, aren't they? And mm. um, and I think that uh, you know we've already looked at the psalm as well. Those different styles of of writing kind of inspire and engages. How how would you how do you see yourself kind of um, using these texts in 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 worship? Uh, with the with the themes that we've sort of identified that is a really interesting question i mean i guess the the john and the psalm 23 uh, the the images there as we said are, are so familiar and kind of you know there are there are obvious hymns that we can go to straight away there are images that can kind of permeate our liturgy in some ways um with 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 the acts reading it's 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 harder to see how some of that works out liturgically um yeah. and i speak as a quite a liturgical anglican that that likes having um having poetic structure um yeah. to to worship um but but as you say i mean there's something very matter of fact about this reading um and i guess part of the question might be simply just how how it's read um i can think of uh different readers within our congregation who um who would probably approach it in quite different ways and you know 
this is a story (laughs) so let's let let's let's tell it as a story and let's let's pause in those moments of tragedy let's feel the emotions that that come out of it um and let's let's share the amazement of those present at at resurrection here and the strangeness and the and the shock of that so so i guess some some of it's just about how we tell the story i think yeah no that's really helpful and i think uh, i i i love the i you know love that you know this is story and uh and and we sometimes try to make things so complex as opposed to just letting hear hear the story and let it sit with us and see where it where it resonates with us so i think that's um that that's really uh, that's really huge in terms of the themes i think we've got the shepherd theme haven't we and the mm-hmm. and the the kind of everyday life is there anything else you wanted to pull out of any of those texts before we uh, before we kind of wrap this up is there anything that i've missed that you're really burning to to share with me so 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 yeah um so so my journey with these texts started with with the familiar and ended with uh, or ends with the strangest i think and actually i i want to end with the revelation because yeah there's some stuff in there. Um, Revelation has never naturally been a book that I have been drawn to over the years. I find much of it really hard. But there's some stuff in there that just feels absolutely unavoidable for us here. Um, And I think I I want to make a link from from the Acts into the Revelation because the the Greek word for resurrection, the Greek word for arise that, that Peter says to, to Tabitha Dorcas um, is a word that means uprising or upstanding. Um, and I'm really struck by this image in Revelation 7 of a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing. Yeah. Um, and they stand and they cry out and they sing. Um, and these, we're told, are people who have come through suffering, yeah. who have come through a great ordeal. Yeah. And, you know, however Revelation casts that great ordeal and that suffering, I think I want to apply that image to, yeah. to the world that we live in now yeah. um, as, as a vision of hope, but also as a vision of potential solidarity in the present. Um, one of the things that you didn't mention in terms of things that have happened this week, uh, another bill that has just passed through the House of Commons is the Police Crime Sentencing and Courts Bill, yes, uh, yes. which, which amongst other things, gives police power to restrict proce- protests they deem yes. too noisy. Yes, yes. Um, I, I, I want to say that Revelation 7 has something to say uh, to the banning of noisy protests actually we're talking about a multitude coming together to stand together to cry out together to sing together um we know that behind the uh, some of the motivations behind that bill are banning the activities of extinction rebellion uh, banning the kind of mass protests of mass solidarity of black lives matter yeah um are banning other uh potential opportunities in the next few years uh, for us to come together across difference yeah. uh, in solidarity with those who are suffering most, with those who have been pushed to the margins most, mm. and say the world that we're in is not the world that should be. 
and is not the world that will be. Um, and I think this, this image in Revelation should be an image that fires us to protest, to stand yeah. together, but also, I think, to, to ask questions about what our church worship looks like from week to week. Because actually, if our church worship is monochrome, uh, where you know difference and diversity is not necessarily embodied in our in our gatherings, uh, where solidarity across difference is not at the heart of it, oh. then I think you know the the critique of of God in Amos chapter five, um, hating and despising our festivals and yeah. and not wanting to listen to our songs, kind of applies to us, and we need to hear that critique. And we need to go out and look for places in our world where people are standing together and crying out together and singing together yeah. across difference and say, actually, that is where the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is to be to be found and to be seen yeah. and heard. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I, I'm totally with you on this, you know, the idea of the inclusivity, you know, it's, it's being inclusive, it's being community and we we. I feel at times we've lost the, the how subversive the gospel is. You know, we've lost that essence of the radical nature of the gospel. So thank you, yeah, thank you so much for for that and for for bringing us together with the with the with the revelation. Um, uh, thank you so much for coming to share your. I think we could probably carry on for a number of uh, 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 longer, but but we do have to put we do have to end now. So thank you so much um, for. Um, uh, for coming and, and sharing and, and you know you now have that new title you know politic politician in the pulpit or pulpit politician uh, but thank you ever so much Al, for, for, for sharing with us today thanks and um, to those to those who are listening to or watching this if you enjoyed this episode please leave us a review wherever you listen to the podcasts and share this episode with your friends uh, we know that um, the listeners of this podcast are passionate and knowledgeable, and we'd love to build uh, a community of learning and encouragement around the podcast. So um, before each episode, we're asking for your questions. If you want to uh, join us on Twitter at pulpit underline uh, underscore, sorry, politics, or using the hashtag politics in the pulpit, uh, or on Facebook, which you can join through the Joint Public Issues Team Facebook page and the website jointpublicissues.org.uk. Um, uh, I have a question uh, that I'd like to just kind of throw out there last, uh, lastly, and it kind of ties in with Al saying uh, Revelation is not is not um, a book that, that he would um, have spent a, spent a lot of time with because it is complex. Someone once said to me that the book of Revelation has been compared to a first century private eye. Do we miss the nuances because we are not in there? And how politically subversive do we actually, and I think you've already highlighted that, think that the book of Revelation is and can be particularly to inspire us nowadays? Let us know your thoughts on Twitter or Facebook. And finally, Al, you've, you've mentioned that you are going to be uh, at um, a keynote speaker at the conference um, from the ground up unearthing hope and seeking justice and we really look forward uh, to hearing what you have to offer us in that and thank you for um thank you for mentioning that and um as i said i think we could have we could have said more but we we do have to leave it here um before we end though the tickets for the conference uh, are available now and um, it will be held on site in oasis waterloo and online 
Um, so please go to jointpublicissues.org.uk forward slash conference and you will be able to uh, see and hear Al again. Thank you so much for your input, your insight, your learning and the challenges you've given us. Um, would you just like to have, have a, a, a quick comment before we end with a blessing? Thanks, Jenny. It's been a pleasure to uh, to be with you today. And I'm, I'm looking forward to the conversations at the conference as well. Thank you so much. So may, may we be anointed with God's spirit as we bring good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, help people to see the world truthfully and let the oppressed go free. Amen. <laughs>